In 2024, our theme is Eyes on Jesus. Uh, In a world where we've got a lot of distractions, every day, every week, every news cycle, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get our focus misplaced. As Christians, it's easy sometimes to misplace our focus where it should be. And so we're thinking about him, we're listening to him, we're letting Jesus question us, we're learning from him, and we are studying from him at his feet together this year in 2024. As we continue in this kickoff series, we've been uh, thinking about Sarah, uh, the runner who's been preparing for a race. And as uh, I tell you a little bit more of her story, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 in your Bibles. The starting gun echoed through the city streets, and Sarah surged forward. As she navigated the first few miles of the race, the cheers of the crowd were both exhilarating and encouraging to her. The initial excitement fueled her, but Sarah knew that the true test lay ahead. The middle miles as they called them, unfolded like a series of increasing challenges. There were fewer folks cheering her on than at the starting line. The sun beat down relentlessly, and fatigue began to seep into her muscles. Doubt whispered in her ear, urging her with each foot, each time her foot struck the pavement, to slow down or to quit. And yet, Sarah pressed on drawing strength from the disciplined months of her training. She reached the halfway point now, the symbolic crest of the marathon. For her, it was a moment of reflection, a chance to acknowledge all of the difficulties she had already conquered and to anticipate those yet to come. The blistering heat intensified. The road seemed to stretch endlessly before her. The farther she went, the longer the miles seemed. Her body screamed for rest, but Sarah silenced these protests with a steely resolve. The marathon, she realized, was a metaphor for life's challenges, endurance, perseverance, and the courage to face the pain head on. With each stride, the landscape changed, and so too did Sarah. She transformed into a a runner forged by tenacity, and fueled by the sheer will to conquer the distance. You are now in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, We are in verse 1. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's word together and listen to its instruction. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, chapter 12 rather, verse 1 reads as follows. Let's read together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The Word of God. You may be seated. As we've said before, the writer of Hebrews is using this analogy for the audience whom he is addressing in their faith in Christ. He's been making the case throughout all of the book uh, that Christ and the way of Christ is far better than uh, trying to obtain righteousness any other way under the old law, the old system. That Christ is a better way and a better priest and and a better, uh, overall, a better covenant Now he's encouraging them to run with perseverance this race. Today, 
as we think about running the race, I want to settle a little bit on this idea about running with perseverance. Uh, the first thing we need to understand is that perseverance is a mindset. It's how we approach the race. The Hebrew writer says, let us run. Well, uh, even for the most seasoned runner, all the way to the very novice runner, and every level on the spectrum in between of, of ability, running is painful. I thought I would get an amen there, but anyway. <laughs> running is painful. It, 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 it is an exercise in continual discomfort. I used to think that I, I saw people who are runners and they ran marathons all the time, the Gary Browns of the world. I thought, man, they just, at some point, it just gets easier. At some point, they just get to a point where it's not painful. But that's not the case. Running is an exercise in continual discomfort. And so perseverance is that mindset of the runner that not only expects adversity, but it embraces it when it arrives. You remember in the book of Job, the account of... uh, as Job begins to suffer, and he begins to lose everything, his wealth, his health, his children. And, and there in the context of that story, there's an inter- interesting interchange where Job's wife finally has enough. You see, Mrs. Job was good with God as long as things were good in her life. But when things stopped being good for Mrs. Job... When things got hard, she bailed on God. She blamed God. Curse God and die is the instruction of Mrs. Job. And and Job's response to that is very good. He says this, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? For Christians, for people of faith... The question is not whether you will have adversity. Uh, That's a given. As as we've said before, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Raise your hand if you've had any trouble as a Christian. Okay, We, we know that's true. All right, the question is not whether or not you will have adversity. That is a given. The question is when you have adversity, how will you respond. Adversity can make you bitter or it can make you better. It all depends on how you respond to it. Uh, you've probably heard of the visual, uh, this description, but it's a good one, so I'll, I'll share it. Think of the difference. You have the same pan of a pot of boiling water. It's boiling. It's to maximum temperature. The bubbling, bubbles are just overflowing, and you have a potato, and you have an egg. And you put both the potato and the egg into the boiling water, and there will be two very different outcomes. One softens, one hardens. Adversity will make you bitter, or it will make you better. The question is not whether you will face adversity in your race as a Christian. The question is, how will you respond when it happens and when it comes? Perseverance, in addition to being a mindset then, is a is a attitude that embraces adversity. The writer says, "Let us run 
with perseverance, which reminds us that our race in Christ is not a sprint. I've known a lot of sprinters in my time as a Christian and in my time as a minister. People who've gone right here after Justin moved the flowers. And right here... And, and they went into this tank of water and went under it and came up out of it and new life in Christ. And they were so excited. But it didn't take long before adversity hit them. Trials, the weeds and the thorns begin to choke things out. And they're no longer walking with Christ, no longer worshiping him, no, no longer seeking his counsel. Well, what happened there? Well, they were sprinters, not marathon runners. When you become a Christian, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And so, we have to expect adversity. That's the only way you run 26.2 miles without stopping for some chicken along the way. Perseverance is dedication and determination to finish the race. Perseverance expects discomfort and difficulty, and instead of avoiding it, it leans into it. I know you're in Hebrews, but if you want to follow and just go over just to the book of James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, James writes this, the brother of Jesus says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever... You face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And James says that in your race, you're going to face some difficulties, some trials of many different kinds, but there's a purpose in the difficulty. There's a purpose in your problems. There's a purpose in your pain. And that's this, so that you may persevere and grow more mature. Think about the most mature Christian you know, someone you look up to in the faith, someone that you admire, someone that you want to emulate their walk with Jesus. Well, they didn't, they didn't start there. They persevered through some trials and difficulties and problems and pain. And because they persevered and they didn't give up, they are who they are today, and you admire them for that. It goes on in verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, perseverance is what separates the good from the great. Perseverance is what matters. Perseverance is what separates the good from the great. The tree that never had to fight... For sun and sky and air and light, but stood out in the open plain and always had its share of rain, never became a forest king, but lived and died a scrubby thing. The man who never had to toil 
to gain and farm his patch of soil. Who never had to win his share of sun and sky and light and air. He never became a manly man, but he lived and died as he began. Good timber does not grow with ease. The stronger wind makes stronger trees. The further sky, the greater length. The more the storm, the more the strength. In sun and cold, in rain and snow, in trees and men, good timbers grow. Where thickest lies the forest growth, we find the patriarchs of both, and they hold counsel with the stars, whose broken branches bear the scars of many wind and of much strife. This is a common law of life. I love that poem because it reminds us of the truth that in trees And men, good timbers grow through adversity. They persevere. They don't give up. But the ones that never face adversity or never lean into it or never grow through it never become all that they could. Our challenge, of course, is that our world is far too comfortable and safe. This doesn't really help us. We remove adversity to our detriment. We live in a world of safety, of participation trophies, of cry closets and safe spaces. Even on playgrounds, I realized this several years ago, I was taking Grace, we have a little playground there on our HOA, and, and everything about modern playgrounds is not designed to be fun. It's designed to be safe. She would slide down the slide, which wasn't really a slide, it was a scoot. You just go down, and she, the most painful thing about that was the uh, static electricity that she'd get as she came off the slide. You remember playgrounds as a kid? I'm a Gen X guy, so I remember slides that were at a 45 degree angle, straight down, shiny, polished aluminum the temperature of which was the surface of the sun. Our parents would tell us to go outside and play, and we'd go up that thing and go down. And if you could stand the blistering heat, if you came off and didn't fly off and and just hit the sand at this angle and skin half of your backside off, you were lucky. And we'd get up, dust ourselves off, and go back again and say, that was great. If, if we went too far with it, of course, we learned the lesson. Go back and t- look in Google Images about old playgrounds. There were kids doing pull-ups from like 12 feet off the ground off the jungle gym. It's crazy. We've made our world so safe that there is no adversity for our children, so they never learn. They don't grow stronger. They miss the opportunity. In trees and men, good timbers grow. Our our world's real safe, and it hasn't helped us out a lot. 
And the result is, of course, that we're soft. We live in a generation now where our watches, my watch does this. Maybe it has for some of you. My watch tells me it's time to stand up. And then, if it's not, that's not patronizing enough, it applauds me for doing so. <laughs> you did it! This is who we are, and our softness has affected who we are as a generation. But what if, what if we, what if we leaned into it a little bit? What if we embraced diversity, adversity and difficulty as opportunity rather than obstacle? What if you let your children go outside and play and didn't monitor them on their phone? What if mama bears let your precious cubs face a little more difficulty and struggle? What if you took the harder path instead of the familiar one? What if we prayed less for comfort and safety and more for courage and adventure? What if we asked less for God's protection and more for his boldness? You're studying Acts in Bible class That church is a church that was bold. Yes, God protected them. Yes, God looked out after them. But what they prayed for was more boldness. What if we did that? May we lean into it a little bit. Ultimately, I think perseverance takes the long view. The writer says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Here's the truth of it. God has a race marked out for you, and God has a race marked out for you, and God has a race marked out for you, and God has a race marked out for you. I don't have time to point to all 600 of you, okay, but but the, the point hopefully you get is that God has a race marked out for you, and you are called to run it with perseverance, and running it with perseverance means a focused Paced, intentional kind of running that anticipates difficulty and grows through it instead of avoiding it. And the goal in your race is not to compare with anyone else's race. The goal in your race is simply one thing, to finish. Listen to the Apostle Paul as he writes near the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. He realizes that the end is near. This may be the last words we get from the Apostle Paul, as far as we know. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 7 and 8, if you're following along. He writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. January's not over, and I've done three funerals. 
And I'm reminded again and again, as I stand here and comfort a family there concerning a person or their remains here, that for all of us, this day is coming. Not where we're at a funeral, but where we're the one being remembered. And in that day, what will be the view? The Apostle Paul says, I was ready. I fought the fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. The message would put it something like this. I gave it everything I had. I left nothing on the table. I was all in with God and with my race of perseverance. Your day is coming. And you may think, well, it's decades away. But in truth, it it could be later this week. We just don't. No. The scripture doesn't tell us when that day will be, obviously. It just tells us to be ready for when it comes. And so, may we run in such a way as to finish the race. Ultimately, perseverance is a blessing. The writer says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You see, God has a race for you that will likely include suffering. And though suffering, while never pleasant, is always for a purpose. Let me say that again. Suffering, while never pleasant, is always for a purpose. Turn just, just look down just a few verses in Hebrews chapter 12, if you're still there. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. When you're running a race, the training is not easy, the diet is not easy, the regimens that you go through is not easy, the race itself is not easy. None of that is pleasant, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Young people, maybe you've had a hard childhood. Maybe you've suffered some things. The blessing will be, and by the way, I'm sad that you've suffered But I can tell you from first-hand experience that the joy is in pushing through the adversity. That someday you will grow up and raise your own children and give them an environment and and a childhood that maybe you didn't experience. If you'll push through it. Married couples, been married a decade or so, and, and the spark is not there, and the irritations are increasing, and the world says, well, just throw in the towel, just make yourself happy, just go find someone else, just throw that marriage away. But if you'll fight for your marriage, and hold on to Jesus, and hold on to one another, The blessing will come to your children's children that you persevered through it. Christian, 
No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Adversity is a blessing. And it doesn't seem like it when you're going through it. But adversity is ultimately and always a blessing. Not in the adversity, but in who you become through the adversity. Diamonds don't grow without pressure. Lobsters, if they want to grow, they have to leave their shell. Grapes must be crushed to be formed into wine. Olives must be pressed to make oil. And seeds must be buried in darkness to sprout. The same is true with us. You don't grow without pressure. You're going to have to leave your shell if you want to experience new things. You're going to have to allow yourself to be crushed to make something better, to be pressed to make something far better, to be buried in order to grow. But if you allow it, suffering and struggle and adversity will grow you and shape you and form you and mature you like nothing else. As she approached the final stretch, the finish line came into view. Sarah's body was exhausted, but her spirit burned bright. The cheers of the crowd crescendoed, pushing her toward the culmination of the months of hard work and dedication. Crossing the finish line, she felt a surge of triumph and emotion. The marathon had not only tested her physical endurance, but also her mental fortitude. Let's look at that picture as she finishes. Look into her face. Is that the the face of of joy and and things are going great? No, it's it's a face of pain and difficulty as she strives toward the finish line. But on the other side of that is a celebration of perseverance, a reminder that challenges and difficulties are an integral part of our journey. And of hers. Sarah emerged from the marathon not only victorious in the race against time, but also in the race against herself. It was a testament to the power of perseverance that with unwavering commitment, even the longest and most arduous of journeys can be conquered one step at a time. The same is true for our race with Jesus. Running with Jesus is not easy. Jesus never promised anyone that it would be easy. He never promised any one of us that it would be easy, only that it would be worth the fight and worth the race. Following Jesus, then, is an invitation. I'm going to give you a a hard idea to accept. Following Jesus is an invitation to difficulty and adversity. It's a, a decision to embrace adversity and take a longer view than today. I'll never forget going to visit my great aunt Donna in the last moments, last year of her life. She was at the hospital for 
what seemed like this had been several times. She was growing frailer with each visit, thinner every time I saw her. And um, the writing was on the wall that her time was not long for this world. But this particular day, I went up to the hospital room. I knocked on the door. Her gentle voice invited me in. And as I looked at my frail Aunt Donna, who I admired and beloved in the faith, there on her tray table, on, over her hospital bed, next to that glorious dish of hospital food, was her spiritual food, her Bible. The same Bible that I had seen her use countless times on her kitchen table and in the pew at church. The same Bible where she would turn to show me where the scriptures were was the same Bible that was with her in this, these last of her final moments. And it occurs to me now, though I didn't realize it then, that she was finishing her race well. She was persevering through the pain, and she was holding on to Jesus. As with uh, last week, we're not going to do a traditional invitation. Instead, I'm going to invite you to the table of Jesus. There is no greater example of perseverance in suffering than thinking upon Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus did not suffer so that you and I would not suffer. He suffered so that when we suffer, we have the opportunity to grow and to be more like him. As we invite you to the table this morning, I invite you to turn your eyes upon Jesus, to focus on him, to think about what he suffered and why he suffered as we sing and partake of the Lord's Supper together.